Bring me your tired, your stressed, your overwhelmed and anxious, yearning for some joy in life. It's time to go out and play. Welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stuart Fortier. So if you had to give up screens for an entire week, what would you miss the most? Now, I know for me, when I was asked this question by Gene Rogers um, at a meeting for the Children's Screen Time Action Network, I realized it's definitely got to be my browsing Reddit and Imgur before bed every single night. I mean, it's a habit I've had for I don't even know how long, and I never really thought about it until they asked me that question. Um, And that's exactly what they want us to be doing more of. The Children's Screen Time Action Network is a project of the Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood. Um, CCFC works to create a world where children's lives are shaped by what's best for them, not by corporate profits. And Screen Free Week is coming up next week, May 3 through 9. It is the Action Network's annual celebration of unplugging, reconnection, and joy. They're celebrating a little differently this year because screens have become pretty much the only means of communication and connection for so many of us in our jobs and friendships and schools and even places of worship. But maybe that's all the more reason to really focus on this area of our lives and start asking questions. So in our interview, Jean makes sure to, you know, make sure we understand that she's not expecting us all to become a bunch of Luddites. Um, They're not trying to unplug us or our kids altogether. The idea is to increase our awareness of our screen time and to create stronger discernment and make sure that our kids have strong discernment muscles and they're building their lives around what they want to be doing and not what some kind of algorithm would prefer. So now meet Jean Rogers. Jean Rogers is the director of the Children's Screen Time Action Network, where she leads a coalition of practitioners, educators, advocates, and parents who collaborate on practical methods to reduce children's time on screens and digital devices, mitigate the dangers, and preserve childhood in the digital age. Jean is the host of Action Network Live, a webcast bringing experts to parents on how screens impact all aspects of child development. She writes a weekly mini blog and speaks widely to parents, teachers, and activists, empowering them to implement solutions to a complex 21st century parenting challenge. She earned a master's degree in education and parenting education at Wheelock College, where she took up the mantle of Susan Lynn and Diane Levin, trailblazers in media literacy, play-based learning, and avoiding a commercialized childhood. Prior to working at the Action Network, Jean was a freelance marketing writer, illuminating products and services for nonprofits and business clients. She was also a music teacher, director of a large church school, a college writing center consultant, but her greatest role is mother to five children. Now, meet Jean. Welcome, Jean. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Kara. <laughs> well, I know you're very, very busy right now getting ready for Screen Free Week, and um, I'm really honored to be able to talk to you. I know Playgrounding is going to be observing it, both myself and everything else I can possibly do to help promote it. Um, but before we get into what Screen Free Week is, tell me a little bit about yourself and what prompted you to get into the work of helping protect children um, from screens and other kinds of things that come through them. <laughs> 
Sure. I really appreciate the question. I started out, my early career was in advertising, actually. I say I, I came from the dark side. <laughs> um, I was a writer in advertising and journalism, a copywriter. And when I had my own children, I started to see the effects that screens were having on them. And like many women who give birth, you just feel this yen to do something to give back and to just be doing something worthwhile. I wanted to stop using my skills to convince people to buy things and um, use them in another way. I wrote a book called Kids Under Fire, which is a really simple parenting book to empower children to make healthy media consumption choices because parents aren't always going to be there, just like you would teach them about nutrition um, how to manage themselves and how to do their self-care. Um, same thing with mm. how to consume digital media. So um, just a, a simple method on how to do that. And then I started giving workshops, mostly around New England where I live. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I decided I needed a little more education, got my master's in education and parenting education at Wheelock <laughs> College where I found my mentors, Diane Levin, Nancy Carlson Page, um, and Petra Hess, who had sort of gone before myself and my peers in educating about young children's screen time hmm. and the harms and the benefits. So we're not Luddites. We're not trying to unplug kids altogether, mm-hmm. but to be able to understand them, to employ Media literacy, which is kind of a dated term right now, you may, <laughs> you may say what's that, um, but to help them to read what they see on the screen. So mm-hmm. when a child learns how to read a book, the content is age appropriate for them. I love this analogy. So they will read C-Spot Run mm-hmm. and then they'll read maybe um, the Goodnight Moon and then they'll read the Arthur books and then they'll read Harry Potter. So it's mm-hmm. age appropriate for them. But when they see a screen, there's no way of knowing whether it's going to be age appropriate. So yeah, um, I wanted to be able to help the adults who are helping the children. So the parents, not just the parents, but psychologists, educators, pediatricians, school counselors, so many people encounter the issues that we see um, based on screens impacting children, mm-hmm. and they all are not speaking the same language. And so that's when I came to Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood, and we started the Children's Screen Time Action Network in 2017 that's so that wonderful. we could create a community around this topic. That's great. Great. I, I have a lot in common with you there. I, I was in marketing for a long time. And I think what, I, what I've what i thought about so much is that media or I should say digital literacy seems to happen more from consuming the kinds of things we were out there pro- creating, you know, that they're, yeah. they know how to read these things and they're creating their own languages in digital, in digital literacy. But we are, I think the thing now that we can jump into teaching is teaching this critical thinking um, about what they're consuming. Cause it's just, that's never going to, they're never going to stop consuming it. Um, <laughs> You're right. And, so, and the, just the options yeah. for consumption get greater and greater. So yeah. it's yes. Yes. It's I cool. love your approach in that, you know, it's never going to, they're never going to decide to reject it altogether, but we, you can help them. Um, wow. 
that is that is really important. And so so I talk about play and then there's this idea of screen free, like, and how does this all go together? And it seems like a little bit of a no brainer because I think about this stuff all the time. But I want to get your perspective on play and how that fits into all of this for you, for adults and for children. Um, you have anything? What is what is the screen time children's act? Children's Screen Time at work. Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> not editing that out. Um, what is the Children's Screen Time Action Network stance on play? <laughs> so the Action Network, as we call it for short. The Action Network. The Action Network. Um, we believe strongly that play is a right of childhood. It's a passage of childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, for thousands of years, B.C., even play was just a given in childhood. Mm -hmm. It was not questioned. It was something children did and they were productive at it. And we can talk about the many ways that children are productive in play, Hmm. but, um, but it was a given. It wasn't questioned until now when it's so rare, when many, many children don't play and don't have play skills and we need to teach them how to play and we need to teach adults to, um, be able to scaffold children's play so that they can play and learn as they play. Um, play is the work of childhood. Mm-hmm. Play is how they learn to be adults. Play is how they process emotions. Um, play is how they learn to cooperate. Play is how they practice um, feuding with each other. They practice resolving feuds. They mm-hmm. practice... Um, you know, reducing their anxiety. It helps them to have a controlled environment of their own when mm-hmm. trauma is happening around them or when change happens. Yeah. Um, they still have their play. There's so many ways that it's a way for them to safely explore the world around them and the world inside them. Mm. Oh, yes, I love that. Um, I, I'm. It, it makes me so sad to hear all of this and then realize that they're building this amazing muscle that then when they get to a certain point in adolescence, it just, it goes into disuse and the atrophy has consequences in, you know, with in our, in our adulthood, it never ceases to be important, but that's where they learn it is in childhood. And so I'm curious about this idea of productivity and play and the, and how, how people can create a scaffolding for play for children. What did you mean by that? So for example, if we think about how children might see the news these days, uh-huh. um, and we don't want to necessarily shelter them. I recommend sheltering them to a certain age. But if they see the news, which they're inevitably going to, they um, may be scared about what they see. And playing will help process that violence for them or that trauma for them of seeing something that they don't understand. And so, first of all, Adults can not be afraid of that, not stop mm. them from playing what they see, mm. from repeating what they see. Um, adults can set it up, set up blocks for them to be able to tear down. For example, if you think of 9-11, yes. and children playing 9-11, they needed to set up towers and they needed to knock them down with toy airplanes or wow. by beating the airplane themselves. Or And adults were freaked out. Adults were scared because they thought that was abnormal. It's so normal. It helps mm. them to process and to come out the other side with a resolution of their own. And 
quite often the resolution that the children come to in their play is one of peace and cooperation. Just naturally, kids are naturally optimistic. So they'll come out with a resolution that is less stressful yeah. for all of us. Yeah, we've talked and, and little... I, you know, I'm sad when you say about when you're talking about the atrophy, yeah. because, it, you know, in many homes and schools and places, you know, the toys get put away after a certain age. And um, and we need to sort of replace those as I, I love your podcast theme, as oh, you must talk you. about with art, with music, with theater, with sports, with, you know, other things that we can do to play as adults. Yeah, absolutely. And regarding violence, I, I, th I think a lot about, and we've talked about this on Playgrounding about trauma. And I think before I really understood what it was from my own diagnoses and stuff like that, I didn't really understand when someone would said we, say we'd work something out. Um, you know, and then when you get older, it all sounds like a very complicated process. Um, but I've learned over the last few years that that working out these things, working through them as children, they do it through this play. Um, the, I, and I'd never heard of, you know, the, the idea of, I, I imagine as an adult, if I had seen a child playing like that, I would be very nervous myself. But now that I've, now that I've spent a lot more time learning about how trauma works in our bodies and when we hold on to it, it just wreaks havoc on us for years to come. And so if a child is spontaneously experiencing these urges to play in these ways that may seem strange to us like yeah that's exciting that you are out there educating people about that um yeah you know what with my own boys i have twin boys oh. and when they were very young i would didn't know a lot of this information that we're talking about today mm -hmm. and i had a rule that we couldn't have any guns in the house that looked realistic i mm -hmm. still think that's pretty good rule oh yeah but, you know we couldn't have guns you know before a certain age and uh, then when I did allow them they were like nerf guns or water <laughs> guns and things like that so um, but when I didn't allow them during the period I didn't allow them they created guns out of Legos they created guns out of their grilled cheese sandwich wow. I mean, they so it, it is an urge. It is something that is somewhat biological mm -hmm. for kids to want to play shoot them up. And it is kind of scary for adults who, because we see the world. So we see what's happening around us where they're seeing sort of a cartoon world. If you want to use those two examples yep. there, you know, they're seeing a play world where when someone gets shot, they bounce back. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so there's aggression that they need to work out. There's energy, just plain, yes. pure, raw energy that they need to get out. And some of it comes out this way. Yeah. Um, and as far as playing violence, you know, we, we want to make sure that none of the kids get hurt, mm -hmm. that it doesn't go too far and that it doesn't get too realistic. Yeah. But we'll, we do want to let them work those things out. And sometimes it takes much longer than we have the patience for as well. But it can also be worked out by creating things, by creating mobiles, by creating clay um, figures, by creating artwork yes. and understanding. And it can be as simple, Kara, as, you know, my dad is going on a business trip or my dad's getting deployed or my mom's getting deployed to the military. Oh. And I'm preparing for it by saying how sad I am. And that sad can come out in the play. That can come out in the Beanie Baby play. I remember mm -hmm. 
or the the um, dolls or the toys can play out that sadness. And then when the actual event happens, it's not as tragic and uh, a break. Wow. Wow. That is so important. And to remember, too, going back to sort of how the whole play movement and a lot of this we call Dr. Stuart Brown, this sort of the father of this movement scientifically, um, that he got into it by studying violent people. His mm -hmm. whole you know, beginning of his work was he, as a psychologist, he started studying these violent people um, and he came to the conclusion that one of the things that they all had in common was that they did not get to play in childhood or punished for play. And that's how he started into all this work. That's how he embarked in what now so many of us have grabbed onto and are running with. Um, but yeah, it's just the kids who didn't get to play were the ones who ended up. Uh, that's a stunning fact. I, yeah. I would so surprised I was listening to your podcast on that topic and mm. with the authoritarianism and yeah I was just I was stunned I mean we know how important it is and we know that children who don't get to play you know can have certain attachment problems can have certain um, transition difficulties and mm -hmm. later in life but I had no idea that yeah. it ran that deep it's fascinating. It's now, there's one kind of play that I have not heard of, and I'm really curious to hear about it. it is, you said you mentioned big body play. What yeah. exactly is that? <laughs> yeah. So it, you really know what it is. You think you don't because you haven't heard <laughs> it that way. We, um, you know, a generation ago, we used to talk about it as uh, rough and tumble play oh. or sort of wrestling play. Um, it, but it could also be climbing. It can be climbing a tree. It can be climbing rocks. It can be um, rolling down a hill with Jack and Jill. You know, it can be <laughs> um, playing in the sand by kicking in a puddle or getting your whole body covered with sand. Um, it's play that involves physically immersing yourself in the play. I know yes. people can't see me, but I'm like holding yes. my hands up and moving my body <laughs> because so picture this, Kara, there is a product by Fisher Price called the Fisher Price Activity Seat. And a child sits, you know, very young infant sits in the bouncy seat, mm -hmm. has an iPad right in front of the child mm -hmm. and the child's not moving. They're just moving their eyes, looking at the app. And what they're not doing is exploring their body, realizing, touching, reaching for their toes, realizing I'm here in this mm. world. They're being taken out of their bodies by the screen. And in that age, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends no screen time. But a lot of our parents don't know that. And by putting... Um, uh, visual in front of them they're not allowing the child to be able to use all of their muscles it's really important big body play is really important for coordination mm -hmm. it's important for balance it's important for learning how to move your limbs using all your muscles and getting that muscle control mm -hmm. that that's needed to move in life and Move now, on. Yeah, because this really brings us into w what Screen Free Week is about, but sort of this is a type of play that n adults don't necessarily access. Maybe we don't understand how much of a child's development comes from these kinds of things. Um, I'm playing with your toes and and I, I just joined a call with you guys. I think it was just last week where someone mentioned a, a, a stand for their iPad or iPhone that goes over them when they change their diapers. 
Huh. And how and 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 you all were reacting very like negatively to that. And I have not been a part of this world much. So uh, can you explain to me why it wouldn't be a good thing to have your baby distracted while you're changing their diapers? Yeah, of course. If you're a new mom or dad, you'd think that that's a good thing because <laughs> yeah. then you can, you can accomplish what you're there to accomplish. There's so many things. Don't get me started. Mm-hmm. So that gadget is called diapertainment, mm-hmm. I think. And it's just really a little stand that you put on the wall over your um, changing table. And then the child is looking at that instead of looking at you. So diapering, that time is really an important time for bonding, mm-hmm. parent and child bonding. It's really important for us to react to the child, to um, coo with them, to giggle mm-hmm. with them, to sing to them while you're changing their diaper. Those kinds of distractions are fantastic. Mm-hmm. But putting a screen up there is allowing the child to become dependent on something. They don't even really see what's going on. It's mm-hmm. just going to be, you know, pixels. Uh, you know, distracting them, distracting their eyes, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's not healthy for the child or the parent, really. Wasting that precious time. And I, and I and also in that same meeting, I remember uh, something that stood out to me that I I grew up in the '80s, and so television was the primary screen that we were worried about at the time. Um, and you made a comment, or I think it was you that TV is kind of the least of the problems at this point, that it's that what happens to them as they do get older and immerse themselves in specifically our electronic devices such as phones and iPads, that that's a different kind of problem than just being distracted by the pixels, because that obviously still happens to all of us as you know, (laughs) we're all still staring at pixels for hours at a time. Um, But what especially is hard for a child who's still developing when they have these devices in their hands? At home. Sure. I want to just say for a moment to, to your listeners that mm-hmm. Kara's talking about the meetings that we have at the Children's Screen Time Action Network. Mm, we have yes. six working groups and the work groups address different topics like mental health, early childhood education, screens and schools, parent education, um, faith uh, development, and uh, cyberbullying and online safety. Those are mm-hmm. work groups right now. We're always open to starting new ones. And the groups come together to discuss, to learn, to support each other, and to advocate. And so um, I just wanted to reference what Kara was talking Thank about. Thank you. <laughs> always love to have you with us. And um, screentimenetwork.org will show you a little bit more about the work groups. Absolutely. Uh, meet approximately once a month or every six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question was about how we get back to the No, book. that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, so what is it about those little, those screens in the devices like ah, the iPhone or the smart pad, uh, smart, sorry, the smartphone yeah. or the iPad? What, how, what's different about that from television? Yeah. So I'm going to refer to the work of my colleague, Dr. Victoria Dunkley, who's on our advisory board, who wrote the book, Reset Your Child's Brain. Mm-hmm. And um, there is, there are links from apps, cell phone use, and iPad use and those kinds of devices to attention problems. She does a detox with children who are addicted. I like, I don't like to use that word. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say children who overuse their devices. Got it. And, you know, even as adults, we throw around that word screen mm-hmm. addiction or I'm addicted to my whatever. And like, 
it's a casual, it's sort of a colloquial expression now. Mm -hmm. Like OCD. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We throw it around. So I don't want to claim that kids are specifically addicted. A certain percentage of them will become or can become addicted Mm -hmm. in a real way. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. But um, as far as screens, they're not all created equal. And there's a myth or a preconception uh, in this work that TV is passive and so it's worse and that active screens are better. And that's not necessarily the case for a child's nervous system. Hmm. So our nervous system wasn't meant to go at a certain pace. Even as adults, we weren't meant to take in so many screens per second if you look at most ads now um by the end of an ad break if you if anybody watches advertising tv anymore Mm -hmm. or even ads on the internet Mm -hmm. um we're a little nervous you know we don't really realize why um but it's because we have been um mesmerized by a certain number of screens per second and With the developing brain, with the child's developing brain, that can create and exacerbate problems of ADD. And so you might notice that if you do use, if you need to, here are the, the, um, most common reasons that parents like to use screens with kids. They like to use it when they're making dinner. Mm-hmm. And they like to use it to be able to take a shower. And so <laughs> we recommend TV. We recommend TV without ads. We recommend um, movies, actual DVDs, um, so that it's one long screen and one long undivided time. Now, if you look at more current movies, it may be, you know, it, it differs per movie. Yeah. Um, or per show, mm-hmm. but typically when Dr. Dunkley brings the kids back from the four week detox, she'll start with a little bit of TV and movies, family movies. And typically TV is done in a communal way, in a way that it can be discussed, it can be talked about, it can mm-hmm. be co-viewed together, which is again what the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. Wow. Wow. You, you just brought up something for me that I, I learned I studied film a little bit and learning the, the language of editing and the, the language of film and how if you go back and look at an old TV show, it's so boring, not because of the content or the way it's shot, but because the shots are so long and they get longer and longer, shorter and shorter and shorter the further you go on history. And now some of the best edited work, you'll notice it just gets cut every few seconds. And it's just it's a strange thing. And when I when I was saying earlier about media literacy, that we are we are constantly in step with those quick cuts and we are constantly learning and our brains are having to adapt to that as we go. And I had never really thought of that as contributing to our brains having to adapt and move that quickly and what it would be like as a child to move into commercials, which th- that's where it's the worst, <laughs> you know, to change your attention. That's fascinating. And I'm sure some parents will be surprised to hear that, but um, I'm sure they will because yeah. I mean, it's very convenient to take the iPad places with you or to mm-hmm. have it on in the car even, but for kids to look out the window, yeah. that's building a muscle for them. And yeah, I know, the idea that it's boring <laughs> actually uh, there, there's a story from another colleague of mine Ray Pika about 
a child in kindergarten who kindergarten teachers are finding now that kids are not interested in doing certain things, that they find certain activities of kindergarten to be boring because of their screen time, because they've overused their screen. So about a little boy who refused to do the hokey pokey. (laughs) (laughs) This little boy standing there with his hands on his hips. (laughs) <laughs> saying, no, I'm not doing this. And because they're bored with real life because those screens are so stimulating. So mm-hmm. in general, you just want to go toward the less stimulating screens and they can be a wonderful guide. They can be a wonderful thing to share. Absolutely. Well, before we get into screen-free weeks, I really want to get in, to dive into that. But before that, really quick, I just want to say the reason why I came upon this organization in the first place um, was I saw Social Dilemma, like so many of us have, um, just completely. Then, of course, I'm diving into other films like Coded Bias and that kind of thing. So I started attending um, uh, the, it's called the, the Center for Humane Technology puts on Fridays. They have these sessions where you just learn and learn and you get to come together with other people with similar concerns to you. And I got to speak with the gentleman who puts it on. I can't remember his name right off the bat, but I just said, here is what I'm interested in. And I specifically told him I'm interested in recommendation engines, especially where children were concerned. Uh, that I just felt like that is just something that's really dangerous, even for adults, because it sends us down those rabbit holes that we've all heard so much about on YouTube or different places. And I I said, who's working on these kinds of things? Because I love advocacy work and I haven't done it for many years. So I want to get back in. So he recommended this and I was just, yeah, this Action Network is doing such amazing work. And so um, is there anything about recommendation engines and what's specifically different about um, the iPads and what they're getting when they're on these small screens like phones? any extra dangers besides just the fact that all of these images are coming at them at once? Sure. I mean, we could do a whole talk on this. Yeah, <laughs> probably <laughs> like um, a, little, a little bite, I guess. So um, I'm just going to recommend that everyone tune into our coded bias event, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be on the 27th of this month. <gasps> and I'm going to be interviewing director Shalini Kantaya and uh, I mean, the algorithms, the data collection, and, you know, the engines that you're talking about, we're going to be diving in and explaining those and (sighs) looking into it deeper. But we don't want our kids tracked from a very young age. Mm -mm. Uh, In a a way, we're getting used to it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting numb to it. Uh, But we don't want our children to have their opportunities changed in life because of the algorithms. We don't want them and we don't want them to be shaped by what they see. Mm -hmm. The way I explain it, like when your kid goes down the street, you know what house they're going into and you know, typically what goes on in that house you've investigated. Mm -hmm. Well, when a kid is online, there's no way we can investigate all the trails that they're taking. So we need to put up as many um, guidelines as we can. And we need to use parental controls, um, but we need to understand what's happening to them. And then that will change our behavior as well, as well as their behavior. Oh, my goodness. um, But it's really a what goes in is what comes out kind of um, situation. So you wouldn't be feeding your kids Twinkies and Doritos for lunch. Mm -mm. So you have to be on top of what they see. At the same time, Kara, I want parents to know it's not your fault. Yeah. Really no judgment. 
no um, judgment of yourself, no judgment of other families who choose to do more screen time, less screen time, um, because it's the business model of these apps and these devices that are creating the problems for kids and parents. And that's what we're working on. That's Absolutely. Why we're an organization where, you know, this week we had our, last week we had our letter going to Mark Zuckerberg to please don't have an Instagram for kids. No. Yeah. The last thing we need is for young children to start mm-hmm. on social media, even younger. We know there are problems with tweens and teens with depression mm-hmm. and we don't want to get that starting earlier. No. And I, I really appreciate when, when that all came out, you sent, I got a notification. It had pre-made social media yeah. uh, posts that I could post um, saying, do not create this Instagram for kids. I'm now seeing all kinds of articles coming out about it in different feeds that I'm looking at. And I'm like, I think I know where this is coming from. <laughs> good, so good. this is, yeah. this is great work you guys are doing. And I think the fact that this is all out there, and that we can't necessarily deny it or keep it from happening. But at these ages, boundaries can be set and discernment can be taught. And discernment is a weird long word for a little kid. But I remember my parents started teaching me that word when I was really young. <laughs> and to this day, I just have this weird relationship with that word because I knew that that was the place where I had the power to do something that was my choice, but that it was going to be a choice that was good for me, you know, from what I've learned. And I always just thought, yeah, that's a great thing to teach. <laughs> and I think that screen-free week is just such a wonderful idea. Um, so can you just tell me how this came about and maybe like a little bit about what people can expect? It's May 3 through 9. So at the time of this podcast um, going up, it will be next week. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about screen-free week. Sure. Screen-free week began as TV Turnoff. It was by an organization called TV Free America. Mm-hmm. And we inherited it in 2011. And of course, by then we had many more devices and getting to the many that we have right now, we turned it into screen free week and pre, excuse me, pre pandemic screen free week was about activities that happened in schools, community groups, faith communities, um, whole municipalities would choose to celebrate together and they would celebrate by having art fairs, bikeathons. Um, all kinds of creative events. Mm-hmm. And um, they would talk about different ways that they enjoyed being off their screens. And we now frame it as screen-free entertainment, mm-hmm. not screen-free altogether. Got so it. I know certain people are turned off by the word screen-free. Think of it as screen-aware. As we become yeah. more aware of our relationship with screens, our kids' relationship with screens, and our relationships with each other because we're putting them down. Mm -hmm. So putting them down after school, after work, and choosing different activities um, is a great way to celebrate Screen-Free Week. There are tons of ideas for you and resources on screenfree.org. And this year, it sort of evolved into come as you are mm-hmm. and do what you want. Do something. Yeah. The greatest thing that you can do if you're listening is pledge. So pledge to do something. Don't pledge to go screen free all week if that's not realistic for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's screen free dinners. Maybe it's one screen free day of the week. We also have our screen free Saturday. Saturdays. Campaign. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, it's a wonderful thing. It's so restorative, many families find. They find that on screen-free week, so some families go screen-free after dinner. Mm-hmm. Just the whole evening is screen-free. And maybe that is one night we go out to ice cream, one night we do board games, um, one night we do nothing. We <laughs> decide to try and be bored and see what that, that brings about. <laughs> Let the kids play, play ourselves, Kara. Yeah. Um, So there are so many, so many options. Um, But, but just a pledge to do something. And a lot of families, what we hear, we love hearing the stories back is that siblings are getting along better by the end of the week. Wow. That there's less, there are less behavior problems that kids are trying new foods, trying new activities. Um, Just, excited to connect with their friends and we know during COVID it's not as easy there Mm -hmm. won't be as much of that connection so that's why we're just saying try it try whatever you can and then stay with us next year might be very different we might be back to those activities events and yeah Yeah. the the resources you guys have available is just amazing and I I especially like the FAQ the family FAQ I was looking at this and I'm actually working with my husband on this because I, we don't have children, um, but as adults, we are going to spend that week evaluating our relationship to screens and seeing how we differ and then offering each other those kinds of boundaries, really. You know, if he, if he decides he wants to do something and I don't, it's not like because we'll be changing a norm. We'll be changing. a Well, let's watch this together. And I'll be like, I'm going to go read. That will be different for us. And what does that feel like? And how, you know. Um, so I love these family FAQs and I'll have a link to the resources page on the show notes for this website, but it's just things like, you know, instead of taking screens away, do we need to teach literacy? My spouse or partner won't participate. Now what, um, I need some peace. How do I occupy them? And then there is a whole other resource of things you can do for kids that for kids, like the activities you can prepare ahead of time, um, yeah, if you have a little bit of time to prepare, yeah. um, setting things up ahead of time is really great. Mm-hmm. Taking out toys that you haven't had out for a while, putting them out. And then I always get that question of what if my spouse is not on the same page? <laughs> it's yeah. super tricky. It's super tricky, but talking about it and trying some different things and also yeah. being open to their position. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find a lot of times it's the mom who really wants to go screen free, just randomly in my work. Yeah. And the dad who's the techie, maybe he's techie in his work. It's not always that way. It can, can be the reverse as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think listening to each other, like you're saying, and deciding what are we, what would we be willing to try together? Mm-hmm. And try it and then sometimes they find oh this is great let's keep doing this all week <laughs> right. um, but I find it's a challenge with my husband too we usually go screen free on Sundays in our mm-hmm. house and um, but we have the, the little setup of the computer in the kitchen mm-hmm. and he just wants to google everything he just <laughs> googles you know he wants to google everything and I'm saying well we have cookbooks yeah you know? We get a newspaper on Sundays, we get an actual newspaper. So, you know, we forget what other tools we have in our life when we can just Google everything. And I also say, maybe we're just going to wonder. So Mm -hmm. we'll, on Sundays, listen to the baseball game on the radio instead Mm -hmm. of watching it. We're big baseball fans. And 
people say something like, well, how old is that guy? <laughs> or how long has that guy been? Uh, oh, I can't Google it today because it's <laughs> Sunday. Also, well, we could just wonder about that for 24 yeah. hours and then tomorrow we could Google it. <laughs> if we still want to know. No, that's exactly how my husband and I are. Yeah, Where have I seen know. that actor before? They look familiar and we have to know. We'll pause and be like, oh, there's this IMDb. <laughs> Oh, it's yeah, yeah, but we don't have to know everything. Mm -mm. First of all, remember that. Like our, yeah. our nervous system can't take it all in. They can't. And just think. Guess what? Maybe I don't have to know. Yeah. Maybe and I'll one of the okay. extra. Oh, sorry. Know. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe I'll be okay if I don't know it. Maybe yeah. everything. <laughs> exactly. One of the questions that you asked in the last meeting um, that I enjoyed and really challenged me. You said, "What will be? What do you think will be the hardest thing for you to give up?" And I had not thought at all about the fact that I spent, I go to bed and even though I know all about what makes good sleep, I've read it all. I have the little watch. I have the app. I'm very concerned about all of this. I turn the lighting down, the dim it as far as it'll go. And I just go on Reddit. I love to go on Reddit. And I, I feel like because I will bring a thread from my day of something I'm thinking about, something I'm working on and I need it to stop. So yes, I'm little miss meditation as much as I, 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 but this is just one of those things that I've been, this is a habit that I've had that my way of getting it to stop instead of other methods, I will just stare at nonsense until my brain is just so scattered and it's like splat against the window. I was just, a, my brain can go in one direction, then it just splats up against Reddit. And I've just seen so much that nothing is even working anymore. And I go to sleep, but I will have to find another way to do that. So I'm going to take that and bring you back around to your own topic of play, <laughs> of adult play. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I enjoy doing is watercolor painting, and I'm just <gasps> a beginner. I've just Ooh. taken one class. Uh -huh. That half hour before I go to bed, I usually draw. I'll draw or color <sighs> or even paint for a little bit. So that's play because mm -hmm. we're just, especially when we're experimenting with colors and designs and topics and um yeah you do need to think a little bit but you don't have to think that much more than if you're listening to reddit <laughs> i know right it's, it's so. just funny how many weird habits that i have related to screens i have not yet wanted to let go of yet that was kind of it's a guilty pleasure but yet we always talk about our anxieties we always talk about these things and yet we're we're forcing our brains to process tons of information very very quickly some things we have very strong feelings about you know you sometimes you go on reddit you see some things that are not really fun to see and but i always think well at least i know about all of these things um do i need to know them in rapid succession right before i go to sleep at night right you know just those kinds of questions i probably wouldn't have asked were i not getting ready to participate in this and that's what i love about screen free week and the idea of screens i've been doing screen free saturdays for a few weeks um, other than the bedtime thing, still can't let it go. How's it going? That's fine. Um, actually, I, I've been playing with my succulent garden more. I've been playing with my animals more. Like I've, I have started my my dollhouse project again. It's just strange how there is always that one thing that's hard to let go. And yes. and I think that will be what will be fun as we negotiate what we let go of and how we can reflect on that. And I'm excited. Yeah. For it. <laughs> when people say, oh, I could never do that. I say, just get curious. Yeah. Just be curious about, well, what would it be like? Yep. Just try it. You know, you may not like it. That's fine. <gasps> but yeah, challenge your yeah. child. Okay. Now 
what we're going to do is we're going to get bored. And what I want to find out is what do you like to do when you're bored? <laughs> Come it's back really, after an hour and tell me. You know, it's really building their resourcefulness. To feel yeah, yeah. Bored. Yeah. Wow. Well, so if, if you mentioned it before, but I really want to make sure people know there is going to be link. There are going to be links on the um, on the playgrounding.com. Um, you will see this at the front of your page. I'm going to make sure this is on the homepage for quite some time. because I really think this is really important. Um, but on the show notes of this episode, we'll have links to Screen Free Week, um, the information on your website. Um, and what are the ways people can participate? You mentioned before the work groups. You also lead some other really interesting, um, you have a the Action Network Live yes. events and um, your blog. Yeah. So when you become a member, membership is free in the mm -hmm. Action Network. Um, and it's on screentimenetwork.org, which Kara will put in the notes. Mm -hmm. And when you become a member, you have the option to join a work group, but you can also just take advantage of our weekly news you can use, which is a blog. And um, we curate four articles about children and screens each week. It's so hard to keep up with. It's mm -hmm. a difficult topic. So we vet and curate the articles for you and give you a little blurb about what they're about so you can helps you stay on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then we feature a member who has done some advocacy or some great work each week. And then I write a blog or sometimes some of our, I have guest bloggers who blog as well. Mm -hmm. We have Action Network Live is our webinar series where we interview the expert. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, April 27th is going to be our Coded Bias event. So excited We're for that. We're going to translate the information in that film to children and what, what's happening to children with algorithmic injustice. So, yeah. so powerful. All right. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've just been looking forward to this so much. <laughs> um, I really right. look forward to participating in the future, especially in my work group, the interfaith work group. And yeah. Wow. And thank you for doing all of this. You know, you've just, for a mom being curious about how to keep your kids safe, you sure have helped a lot of other parents um, and and their and others who they, who who love their friends' kids <laughs> to understand this and to to help us wrap our heads around ways we can be proactive with it. So, thank you for all of your work. And you're so welcome. Children are going to be our next leaders. Yes, they are. Well, we have our own. Well, we're thinking of other people's children. The way they're shaped is so important. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thanks, Kara. Thanks for listening. You have a lot of reasons to visit the show notes at playgrounding.com slash 69 this week. We talked about a lot of great resources in this episode. And not only do we link to the websites and books that we mentioned, but you'll also find actionable resources like the Coded Bias Activist Toolkit and the letter to Mark Zuckerberg telling him no Instagram for kids. On one more note, we talked about the Action Network Live event with Coded Bias Director Shalini Kantaya. Unfortunately, that event has passed, but there is a link to the Action Network Live's past recording page on the playgrounding.com slash 69 show notes. It's not up yet. The, uh, the recording isn't live yet on the Action Network's page, but it is so worth it. I absolutely guarantee you will love it. I got to join and it was an incredible conversation. Um, and there are also past recordings from their other Action Network Live events. Um, they are monthly. It might 
might actually make you want to join the Action Network. It's free. I did. Um, it's an incredible organization. All right. Go have a great week and get away from your screens. But podcasts don't count.